look at your neighbor and say, God's moving. We've had some things spoke to us prophetically. And uh, I, I know I can't share all of that right now. Don't even have time. But I want you to know that God is moving. We've been spending this month talking about vision and our values of what God, I believe, is, is setting us up for. And there's not one thing that I'm preaching to you is not what Jesus did with his disciples. Matter of fact, when he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. First place he takes them, Miss Joni, he takes them to a mountain. He sets them down. He said, this is your mission. You're going to be the light of the world and you're going to be the salt of the earth. And then he turned around after that and he said, this is going to be your core values. He said, this is how you're going to live. This is what you're going to do. And he gave them values. We would call them Beatitudes. We would call it the Sermon on the Mount. But if it was in our vernacular today, he was establishing core values for his disciples to live by. He said, you've heard it said that this, but he said, this is what I'm telling you and how I'm telling you to live. Now, I haven't been able to get through all of this. I probably ought to preach every one of these for the rest of the year and still not exhaust them. And I'm going to have to skip a week next week because I've invited a powerhouse in here next week, a world shaker, uh, Donald Sims. It's been a number of years since Donald's been here, but you're going to be blessed. He's on the road getting ready to head to the Sudan and minister to people there. They've got a church planning work going on and God's just doing amazing things. I was on the phone yesterday morning with Damien Pranuk. How many remember Damien? I just happened to catch him in Argentina. I thought his phone rang different. Miss Judy, when I got him, he was on the streets doing ministry. Him and a group of young adults, YWAM, young, youth, I think it's youth, youth, you know who YWAM is, it's a youth mission agency of young people. There's about a hundred, hundred of them on the streets. He said, Pastor, the streets are filled. People are coming. They said, we felt something and we come to the street and people were being saved. He was just ecstatic of what God is doing. And I'm telling you, God is doing some amazing things. Look at your neighbor and say, he's doing amazing things here and all over the world. Now I want to remind you of what our purpose statement is. We've got a purpose. Church, we exist for a reason. And that's to bring people, to lead people to the life within the fullness of Christ. Now notice how we said that to lead you. You can sit here all day and never be changed. If you've made up your mind, you don't want to be changed. If Jesus was here, you could sit in the presence of Jesus and not be changed. If you don't want to be changed. Go to the Bible. He went to, he said, I could do very little because you guys don't believe who I am. But we're here to bring you to the fullness of Christ in every area of your life. Religiously, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, anything that God promised in his word. I believe you can have it. We begin to lay out the core values of how we're going to see it done. And then after Brother Donald is over, I'm going to come back and pick up our, pick up our purpose statement, our mission statement, the how, even in a greater way after he's gone. But I want to give you these core values. Here they are. Number one, let's say it together. They're going to put them up here. Here's our first one. Jesus, can you put it up there for me? We're, we keep Jesus at the very center. He is the absolute of everything that we do. If any life is going to be changed, it's because of Jesus. If anybody's going to be saved, it's because of Jesus. If anybody's healed, it's because of Jesus. If anybody's transformed, it's because of Jesus. It's not because of our religious activity, whether you and I want to believe it or not. It's not about how worship gets. It's not about how hard I preach or anybody else preach. It's by Jesus and Jesus alone. And we're keeping him at the center of our life. Why are we doing that, Pastor? 
You better think about the craziness that is in the world that doesn't know what they believe. They've absolutely lost their mind. The woke agenda has gripped much of the world. And the sad note is it's gripped much of the church. And we don't even realize that we are under that. But I believe God is resetting his people. He's focusing back to the main thing, which is the main thing. And it's him and him alone. Hello. I read, I've been reading through the New Testament through my time of fasting. And I got through it, the whole New Testament in these 21 days. That may not be anything for you, but it was huge for me. But I read something in the book of Revelation. It says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I want to say it to you again. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If it isn't bringing us back to Jesus, you better question the prophecy. Hello, I don't care if it doesn't bring us back to what he's done, we've got to question it. Here's the second, here's the second uh, core value that we've been talking about. We are spirit-led. Church, we are spirit-filled. We are born-again, spirit-filled people that believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Not only do we believe in it, I believe it is essential for you and I, if we're going to live in these days, to be baptized with the Holy Ghost to be led of the Spirit and we as a church believe it or not are going to be led and are being led of the Spirit of God don't misunderstand if you're not careful see we think freedom is everywhere if we're just free doing everything that we want to do that's being led of the Spirit no that's just me doing what I want to do and sometimes Spirit is doing something else Hello, y'all got real quiet on that and so I better get off of it. Here was the third one. We've already touched these. I got four. I'm going to hit with you today real quickly. Here's the third one. We are better together. You realize that we were never intended to do this life alone. We can't fulfill any purpose of our lives by ourselves. I don't care what kind of ministry you got. I don't care what you do in the sense of gifting. You, are, you cannot do it by yourself. It will ne There's no such thing really anywhere in life of us doing anything by ourselves. Well, I provided everything I got, somebody might say. Well, you, you may have went to the store and bought it, but somebody had their hands making it. Somebody made your shoes. Somebody built your car. Somebody built the house that you lived in. Somebody's working to keep your electricity on. Somebody's working to keep the water running in your house. Somebody's worked for the food. They skinned the cows, skinned the pig, plucked the chicken, whatever it was, to put food upon your table. You're not in this thing by yourself. We, we're better together. Matter of fact, Donald Trump said in his previous, you know, running for president, and he's gathered all the evangelical leaders of the nation. He said, you guys can change this nation if y'all would just get together. Problem being, the church can't get together. Somebody was sharing with me about a new energy source that they are experiencing with. You've probably heard about it. It's called fusion. They say fusion will be one of the safest, one of the cleanest, one of the most effective energy sources of our day if it gets worked out. And fusion, from what, they, from what the story I was told, is nothing more than putting atoms together. It's what makes the sun work. It's not nuclear power. From my understanding, nuclear power is dividing those atoms. But to bring it together, you're creating an energy source. They said their biggest challenge is to get the atoms to get together. It's the biggest, it's the biggest challenge. What would happen? Jesus even said it like this. If I could just get two of you to agree. I don't need hundreds and thousands. I just need two that will get in harmony and will agree together. Look at your neighbor and say, we're better together. All right, we're going to get into a new one today. Here we go. We're going to do the last four. The rest of them we're going to do today. We've got to do it real quick. Here it is. We believe. We believe without limits. 
We believe that God has the best ahead for our church. We refuse to insult God by thinking small and playing it safe. I hear it I hear us all the time. We think we're people of faith sometimes, but we talk more negative than we do faith. But I'm here to declare to you that there is absolutely nothing that our God can't do. How many believes that in this house? I think we do. I think you're in a house that believes in miracles. Ephesians 3:20 says, "Now unto him, everybody say now." Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. I want to read that to you out of the Passion Translation. Oh, I love this. Listen to this. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request your most unbelievable dream and exceeds your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Therefore, if we believe that he's a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, if we believe in a God where we're not going to put limits on him and we're not going to think small and we're not going to think safe, but we're going to believe God. There's not a person that we're going to get close to. There's not a person going to walk in this room, no matter what they've done, no matter what they look like, no matter how bad they've been, no matter what their record is, that our God can't change in a moment's time. Come on, somebody. You better believe with me. I saw a guy on Facebook the other day in France. He decided, I really believe he's demonized. There ain't no way anybody would do this naturally on their own. But he decided he, was, he, was, he, he couldn't identify just being a human. So he was a black demon. And he spent no, no telling how many tens of thousands of dollars to literally alter his whole, his whole image. Tattooed himself black, took out his nostrils, cut off his ears, took off his top lip. I mean, he's done, he's done some of the most horrendous thing. He's put all of these, you know, where it looks like a dragon or whatever, down his head, up his arms. And then he wonders why he can't get a job. And restaurants won't let him come in and eat. I, I think, dude, uh, you ought to have thought about that before you went to this point. Now... The question is, you and I would stray away from him. I'm being honest, but I'm telling you, I don't care how far he went. There ain't a demon in hell that's got anybody so captivated that the God that we serve cannot, can't transform them and literally bring them back. But you and I are going to have to believe that. You want to see miracles. See, we want to see miracles. We just want somebody else doing it. Hello, we need miracles in our church. Well, you're the miracle worker. And if you and I are going to see miracles, then you and I are going to have to believe that there's absolutely nothing that God can't do. I'm here to declare to Christ's church, there's not a sickness he can't heal. There's not an addiction so great he can't deliver. There's not a problem so complex that he can't solve. There's not a need or desire that you have that God can't provide. See, we've let religion teach us that God doesn't want us, want us walking in his fullness. Well, pastor, you know, after all, I don't know if he wants me well or not. Yes, he does. He didn't make you sick. Not only does he want you well, he wants you prosperous. Because you can't help anybody if you don't have more than enough. You can't help those that are in need. I believe God's people ought to look the best, drive the best. I, I'm serious. We ought to have the best in everything. We ought to be thinking the best. All right, y'all just stay religious if you want. But I'm telling you, the God that we serve didn't come to save you, to make you like this world. He come to make you like heaven. 
And his will has always been that heaven would manifest in the earth. We believe big. Mary, when, when, when the angel appeared to Mary and said, Hey, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to conceive and bring forth the son. And she's looking at this angels like many of you when God starts talking to you about something miraculous. And like me, I'm throwing me in the same category. And not only that, the angel said, your cousin Elizabeth as well. That was an old age. Well advanced, matter of fact. That's what Zachariah said uh, when, when the angel appeared to him and struck him with, you, you know, struck him where he couldn't speak. And the angel tells him that he's going to bring forth the son. And he said, God, do you not realize that I'm an old man? And he said, my wife is well advanced in years as well. He didn't call her an old woman. He just said she's advanced in years. But that didn't matter to God. Time doesn't matter. You may have been waiting your whole lifetime for your promise and you think I don't have much time. God's got time to get it to you. We might be in the time. Matter of fact, everybody I've listened to, prophets all over the nation, it don't even have to be prophets. Rabbis are declaring that this year is the year of fulfillment. This year is the year of the blessing of the Lord. The unfolding of promises we've been waiting upon. If we can believe. When, Mary, when the angel told her that, Mary said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible with God. Question is, can we believe? Can we believe? But you're not going to stay in faith and all you do is listen to the negativity of this world. You heard the prophetic word. You heard the interpretation. If you don't know what that was, that was tongues and interpretation. And God said a while ago, he was going to take care of us. Did, did I not hear that? God said, I'm going to take care of you. I, I know how to do that. So either we're going to listen to God or I'm going to listen to what the, you know, the procrastinate, uh, uh, what are those guys in the world, everybody that's telling us how bad things are. But God said, I'm going to take care of my people. So we, we believe big. Look at your neighbor and say, we believe big. Wait a minute. This is, this ought to be our life, not just something about this church. This is our life. This is my life I'm talking about this morning. Here's, here's the fourth one or the next one. We honor. Can you throw that up there? Here we go. We honor. We honor up. We honor down and all around. We submit to those above us and we care for those around us and under us. And we honor by being honest to each other and to ourselves. The dictionary definition of the word honor is this. To demonstrate the highest respect or the greatest esteem for someone. By honoring someone, you're saying to them, I see great value in you. I see great value in you. I've come to learn something through this. We like the glory, right? Glory and honor come from the same word. Comes from the very same word in the Hebrew. And you really can't talk one without the other. It means weighty. It means to be weighty. In the book of Revelation chapter 4, around the throne, the angels and those were crying. They were bringing around the throne, giving glory and honor unto God and thanksgiving. And when they would do that, the four and twenty elders would fall and cast their crowns before the Lord. If you and I are going to walk in glory, you and I are going to have to understand honor. That we honor the authority that God has put over us. Doesn't make you make him all that in a bag of chips, but you recognize Position. Honor can come in a couple different ways. Honor can come from being ascribed to somebody. Or honor can come from an achievement that somebody did. I've got in my office there on my wall, I've got a doctorate. You guys could call me Dr. Strong. 
I said you could. I have it by right. It was conferred to me. Is that the right word? It was conferred on me through the Bible college that me and Diane worked it, worked with and went through because I wrote this major foundational course and all of this stuff. It was conferred. I don't feel like I earned any of it. Some of you in this room have an earned degree. I had a conferred degree. So you could still, I could still use it. I know a lot of guys that do. I just ought not to be called Dr. Strong or Dr. Zach, whatever. Some may say Dr. Strange, but. <laughs> I choose, choose not. But I've been given a position by God and not by man to be a pastor of this house and to be an apostle over this region. Which really expects, and the office, listen, the calling and the office demands of God the honor. Because if you don't honor, you can't receive what I have for you. Or what God intends for us to do through you. Well, you're just a man like I am. Yes, I know that. I got up, had to shower just like you. I didn't use the curling iron. My hair just naturally gets this way. But I have to go through and I have to primp and everything to keep them down. But I'm just like you. When it, but the office of which God put me in, the title that God put on me, what God conferred upon me demands. Listen, I'm not looking. I'm trying to. We honor up and we honor down. Not only do you, does it come this way, but those that God has put over me, I have to bring the same honor. Number of years ago, I came under attack by a fellow minister. I mean, it was severe. It messed with me severely, real bad. Bad enough that it messed with my emotions. I'm telling you, it really messed with me. Brother Rick Clendenin was alive at that time. And of course, Brother Rick has been one of our spiritual overseers. And me and Diane, Diane just said, we need to get away. She saw that thing wearing on me. We went and we just had lunch with Brother Rick and Debbie. And Rick knew what I was dealing with because they were going to him because of me. I mean, it was a, just kind of a mess. And Brother Rick set, set us down in, in Cracker Barrel and he said this. He said, Zach, you remember when they asked Jesus, who do men say that I am? He said, yeah. They said, thou art to Christ, the son of the living God. He said, if they don't recognize who you are and give you honor, they can't receive what you bring. That was very freeing. Now I'm saying that to say this. We really don't walk in any greater authority than the, the authority that we're submitted to. Hello? We, we don't. If you're not submitted to authority, you really have no authority. No matter how much you say you have. But then here, remember, we honor up and we honor down. Because it's not just enough that, hey, Pastor Zach's to be honored in the house. Or me and my wife, Pastor Diane, are honored in the house. No, but I've got to honor you. And if I don't see what is in you, if I don't see the value in you, or if we don't see the value in one another and give each other honor, then we will never be able to receive what God wants to do. So we've got to be determined, wait a minute, I'm going to be a person of honor. And we're going to honor up, we're going to honor down, and we're going to honor all around us. Do you know in the, how many knows what the Ten Commandments? We're not going to go through all of them. How many knows what the fifth one is? Anybody? Don't answer, I'll answer for you. Honor your father and mother that your days will be long on the earth. Now think about that for a moment. It's, I've always questioned, why is that the fifth one? The first four deals to, totally with our relationship with God. And then he brings the next one, the fifth one, honor your father and mother. He didn't say love them, he said honor them. He said honor them. 
that your days may be long on the earth. Because I believe this, the honor that I give to my earthly, to my earthly authority is really a symbol or is a, is a measure of the honor that I'm giving to my heavenly father to lead and guide my life. So some of you, it's odds with your parents. You need to get straightened out. Didn't mean you have to love them. Didn't mean they've done everything right in your life. But he said, you better recognize because if there's not but one thing about them, they may have been the meanest, nastiest, honoriest people on the planet, but you wouldn't be here without them. They got you into this world. All right, better get off of that one. You know, Moses had this desire to see the glory. God, I want to see your glory. He's up on the mountain and the thick and the thundering and the lightning. I mean, for 40 days and 40 nights, was he not up there? And then he still has this desire, God, show me your glory. Nobody else could go up there. Nobody else could walk up that mountain without dying at that point. But Moses did. Then he asked in the book of Exodus chapter 33, I believe it is. He said, God, show me your glory. God says, no man's going to see my face and live. But he said, I'll show you. And he takes him and he puts him in a rock, in the cleft of a rock. What did he show him? What did he show him? Did he show him a cloud? Did he show him a lightning bolt? What did he show him? He showed him his body. He said, I'll just let you see my backside. Think about that for a moment. If we're going to see glory, we need to start seeing the body of the Lord. We need to start seeing one another. I may not like you, but I got to love you. And I got to real, oh, come on, somebody. Remember, we got to be honest with one another. This is honor. This is honor. We're going to be honest to each other and ourselves. I, I may not like you, but there's personalities that just rub me wrong. Come on, you're all the same way. You know, we're all the same, but I better honor them and recognize that they help make up this thing called the body. They help make it up and we've got to give honor. So if we're wanting to see glory in its fullest measure, I believe, then we need to start seeing one another in a place of honor and respect like we have never seen. And we have to work at it. I think I told you this the other day. Told you this the other day, years ago, churches are terrible. They are. Fight, fuss, divide over the stupidest stuff. From the color of the carpet to things that we don't like. And don't have with each other. When I started out being Pentecostal to the bone, the church that me and Diane first started out with, that my brother started, was Pentecostal Tabernacle of Hope. I took the Pentecost off of it. The reason I took it off, not because I'm ashamed of Pentecost, I'm ashamed of how the people acted. Because every Pentecostal church in the town just about was a split off a split off a split. And we couldn't even speak to one another. We'd go different places and we'd talk bad about each other. We're stopping that. We're going to let the world know that the body of Christ... Jesus said this, by your loved one for another shall all men know that you're my disciples. How we interact, how we engage, how we give honor to one another. Hello. You don't realize it, but there's an old church spirit that gets in that just, yeah, 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 all the time. Cast that thing out in the name of Jesus. Because it can get on all of us. It can get on all of us. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to walk in honor. Let me give you the next one. We pursue excellence. We pursue excellence. Excellent communicates care. We are committed to doing everything to the best of our ability. Excellence is, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to stay, I'm trying to stay close to my notes so I can get done. I learned something the other day. I think the Lord had to show me. Because you know, everybody said, Pastor, just take your time. 
Well, that's good. I love it when it happens like that. But nine times out of ten, we're on more rabbit trails than we are the message that God really gave us. So don't let people put you in that thing to say that time isn't important. It's important to you. You're only going to give me so much time. It says this. I wrote these things down. Excellence is not perfectionism. It's not perfectionism. It's not professionalism. It's not performance. Although it could reflect at some point all of these qualities. It could reflect into all of those qualities. Although it's not, excellence is not either one of them. Here's what excellence is. It's giving our best, being our best at whatever we do in and for the Lord. It's giving our all to God. It's, it's giving our best with what we have to work with. I may not do, be able to do what other churches can do. Because we may not have, I'm going to say it, please don't bet. We got great abilities here, great talent and everything else. But there are churches that far exceed. We might want to put on productions, but our building doesn't allow us to do some of the things that we want to do. Miss Judy, you know, you've, man, we've done some stuff. We run extent, we made stuff the fire marshals would probably shut us down for now. Larry's shaking his head. Because we weren't designed for it. We wanted to, we act like it. And it wasn't because that we weren't, but we were giving our best at what we, what we had. You see, excellence, excellence finds its seat at our very core. It reveals my intents and my motives and my attitude. Excellence showed up before you ever got here. Excellence revealed how you prepared yourself to be here in whatever room you're in. It's revealed how you come to serve. It's revealed how you come to work or play. Matter of fact, it'll show up whether, well, you know, there's not enough people here for us to do everything with everything that we got. I believe, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I think you guys will agree with me. I don't care if there's five or 5,000. I'll preach to you just as hard and strong and with as much as I got in me if I had 5,000 sitting in this room. I've done that in every service and every classroom I've gone into. That's been a, a trait of mine. But let me ask you, how are you prepared? See, God gave his very best for us and we're expecting his very best but we want to give our least to him. But see, excellence tells me good isn't good enough. It might be good for you, but it's not good for us. I had a radio man years ago when radio was huge. And uh, still big, I guess. But everybody put their advertisements on radio. He came to my church in Paducah. He wanted to sell me some advertisement. Man, I thought, this is the deal. Let's go for it, guy. So I was walking him out to his car. He had a little old car. And when he opened the door, I think the guy lived in it. He had more McDonald's cups, Happy Meal papers, everything thrown all over the back in it. And this rose up in me. Honest truth. This rose up in my heart. He will take care. He will not take care of me any better than what he's taking care of his own vehicle. Hello. Man, I'm wanting, I'm wanting a new home, but you're not taking care of the one you got. I want a new car, but you're not keeping the one you got clean. I want a man on my arm, but you ain't taking care of yourself. You might need to throw some pain on the face. You, I don't know why I said that. It could go the other But I better take it the other way. You wanting a beautiful lady, you might ought to go to the gym and get rid of the barrel. Oh, Jesus, help us. We're striving for excellence. 
Bible tells us in Colossians 3, verse 23. It says, whatever, I think she'll put it up on the screen for you. Can you put that up, Miss Mindy? Here it goes. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. He said, whatever I do. Let me ask this. How are you going to your job tomorrow? How are you going to your job tomorrow? You got to work the same way on your job like you would before the Lord. I used to love when I worked for the power company years ago. I was out on a line crew. We had four line, four, uh, line crews that did overhead. And we had one underground crew that took care of putting you know, the wires in the ground. I hated going on the, on that, on the underground crew. Hated it. Because it seems like all of our guys, man, we, we would have days to see how much wire we could string. How many poles we could put up. But the underground crew was always the last crew to leave the barn. Always. Always. Five of them on the crew. Last crew to get all their stuff together, leave the barn. Then they would drive 20 miles an hour to get to a job. And we covered nine counties. Then they had stopped to get them a, a quart of milk or a, a Debbie cake or something to eat. And then by the time they get to the job, everybody gets out of the truck and puts their hard hat on, their gloves on, looking the job over. Y'all know how it is. Some of y'all do this. You turn around, you spit. And I thought, well, Joe, what do you think? I think it ought to go over here. Well, Ralph, I don't know. I think we ought to put it over. And the whole time we had, we had it drawn out exactly and staked out where we're going to take it. And spend a whole day on a job that could have been done in just a matter of a couple hours. So one day I got through on that crew. And the foreman of the crew had a nice house out in the county. And he was having a contractor work on it. So on our way by it, he said, I need to stop and talk to my contractor. So when we pulled up to the house, the contractor was standing in the driveway talking to a buddy that stopped by to talk to him. Man, did he get upset. I'm not paying you to talk while you're on this job. I thought, dude, what do you do every day? You see, whatever we do, we got to do it under the Lord. The Passion Translation says... Put your, heart and, put your heart and soul into it. Every activity you do as though you're doing it for the Lord himself and not merely others. Let me ask you, what kind of worship did you bring this morning? No, let me ask you, what kind of expectation did you bring this morning? No, what kind of faith did you bring to this house? Well, we're just going to see what will happen. And I'm hoping that they've got enough faith and they've got enough going that it'll make something happen in the house. Maybe the one reason revival isn't sustained is once the evangelist leaves, we don't know how to sustain it. And I believe this is what God is speaking to us. I got to land this jet right now. Let's go to the last one. Whatever we do, we do it heartily unto the Lord. Not halfway. Not halfway. We want to do the best we can. I'm not asking you for professionalism. I'm not asking you for perfection. I'm asking us to give the very best that we can for the Lord. Here's the last one. We are generous. Generosity is a privilege. We're generous with the resources God has given us. Generous means to give more than what, what is expected. And this just isn't about money as the worship team comes and takes their place. This just isn't about money. Do you realize that generosity is in everything? It's in my love. It's in mercy. It's in grace. It's in kindness. It's in compassion. Do you ever hear this? You reap what you sow. It's true. In everything. It's true. You reap what you sow. You reap judgment. You get judgment. You reap hatred. You're going to get hatred. You reap. You, 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 you reap hardness. That's what you can expect to get. Bible says in the book of Luke. Chapter 6 verse 38. I think she has that. She'll put it up for me. I'm sorry. Maybe I don't mean to tell you what to do. But. I, I could I read it up there. I, I just want them to see it. Can, can you see that? I want to show you something. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, 
shall men give unto your bosom. I want you to notice something. What comes back is always more than what you put out. And if you keep this passage in context, he was talking about judgment before this verse was ever spoke. Even though this verse is used in every financial uh, blessing area that could ever be. But if judgment is coming, if I'm putting judgment on somebody and that's what I'm giving, then that's what I can expect back. You know what I hear from the church, from the world about the church? Been this way all the time. All we get when we go to church is we get judged. So why are they saying that? They're in turn, they're turning judgment back to the church. You guys aren't worth your salt. You're not worth your light. You judged us, even though it, I may have felt righteous in doing it. But the reality is, if I put it out that way, it's coming back, pressed down, shaken together towards me. Will men give me? Notice what he said. With the same measure that I meted out or met with it, it will be measured back to me that same way. I've always lived like this. I've tried to, especially since I've been in ministry. I've tried to be as gracious as I possibly can. Because I don't know that I may stumble someday. I've dealt with leaders that have fallen. I've dealt with people that have been in the most horrendous things. And probably should have been taken out back and beat up. But I always tried to show grace. And show mercy because, Miss Judy, I realize it's only by the grace of God that I'm where I'm at. Yeah, there's a time we have to, we have to kind of clamp down. And there's a time to be strong. But I've learned, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. None of us, nobody ever expects to blow it. Nobody ever expects to fall. But it does happen. And people... People blow it. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 8 says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's just a principle of the kingdom. It's a principle of life of what we sow. So let each of us purpose in our heart not to live grudgingly, not to give grudgingly or out of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever we do, let's make sure that our hearts are pure and how we're ministering and what we're doing. But I do believe, and I will stand with the greatest of them, that God has told us how to be successful and how to have everything that we have need of. From Genesis all the way through, man was to live by seed time and harvest. I plant a seed and I reap a harvest. That's how we live. How did you get here? Believe it or not, you were, you were in a seed before you got here. That was planted from your father into the womb of your mother. I don't ever see that... Well, it just doesn't look like much to me. Doesn't matter what the seed looks like. It's what supernatural is on the inside of it. I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch today. Everybody's asking since the fast over yesterday. My kids are, Dad, what are you going to eat tomorrow? Well, I don't know. Probably the same thing I ate yesterday. Not looking for anything special today, really. But I do know that it started from a seed. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken did. But he came, God created the first and put a seed in him, still comes from a seed. Everything that happens is seed. God put wealth in our hands. Some of you, I'm not saying, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know people what you got or don't have. I try to stay out of that. But I believe this, that God makes people very wealthy to advance his kingdom. 
But at the same time, he doesn't matter if you live in a nice home and you drive a nice car and you wear nice clothes. He doesn't, it doesn't bother him. That's, a, that's the heart of our Father. He wants us to be blessed. And I've learned through the years, we've tried schemes, we've done everything under the sun instead of doing things our way. How many have ever heard the verse Paul said, but my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Heard that? You know why Paul said that? Because the church was ministering to his need. They were helping him fulfill of getting this gospel out. And as a result of that, because it takes money to do what we do. It takes everything that we do takes money. If you don't need money, I'll be happy to take it off your hands today and rid you of that burden. You don't have to carry it no more. You don't have to worry about it. You don't even have to put it in a coffee can and hide it. You have, just bring it to me. And I'll rid you of that burden. But every one of us have need. And God intends us to live by seed. He said, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let everyone give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you have a sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Everything that I've shared with you today isn't just about having a move of God. It's really about sustaining it once we encounter it and to be able to live it out and carry it out. He gives seed to the sower, bread to the eater, but He multiplies your seed sown. We want to be a generous people. We're going to be a generous church. I think we have been for what we have and what we do. Yeah, you are. You ought to, It comes from you. Yeah. I've stood amazed over the years. Dying with, she'll know. She sees it all the time. How God used you to bless others and to do things. And, and yet, y'all know, I've been honest where, where we are financially. We're carrying this $3 million debt. And I'm believing God this year to take care of it. Yesterday, I had a pastor while we were at Garth Kuhn's funeral. Had a pastor friend that I haven't got to see in years. I said, how you doing, buddy? He said, we just got our church paid for. They owe just under a, a half a million dollars. He said, somebody came by, wrote him a check for the full amount to pay it off. Hallelujah. I rejoiced with him. But I'm not going to be out of debt so that we don't do anything. Because the man under the bridge is out of debt. Hello, I'm not going to live like that. We got a guy living in his car up behind the church. I've noticed that. Living in his car. That's not where I intend to live. In a van down by the river. We're not going to do that. Nor are we going to sit out and be beggars. God's people are not beggars. God's people are generous givers. And we watch God unfold His blessings into our life. I want you to stand with me. All the worship team is coming back, I think. Yeah, come on, guys. I asked you at the first of this month, I felt really led of the Lord to do this. To receive a special vision offering over and above our regular giving. I'm not doing, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not doing anything that I've not asked you to do. Matter of fact, me and Diane are sowing one of the largest seeds we've sown in a long time. I, I, I really felt the Lord said, do it. And she gave me, she said, go for it. Well, not quite those words, but 
I believe she knows when God speaks to me about doing something, she has something different, she would let me know. And so we're going to put our very best seed in the ground because we're generous. And this is where I felt the Lord said, do it, this money. One of the things that I'm sowing for, I've got a number of things. I want you to do it. I wrote on the back of mine what I'm believing God for in my seed. Well, pastor, we don't give to get. Don't come on. Don't get religious on me. Yes, we do. We should expect the harvest to come back. And I've got an expectation. One of the things, and I'll tell you a couple of things I've got on here. I want this house debt free. <coughs> I'm sowing towards that. And I'm believing for the explosion that I've always heard God speak over this house. That we're going to see it. That what he told us he would do, we're going to see it in this moment of time. That's why I'm sowing the way I'm sowing. And we're going to put this in to spreading the gospel. Some of the hottest parts of the world right now, believe it or not, are among the Spanish-speaking communities of the world. Honduras, over the last number of years, Honduras has seen over, over 70,000 people come to know Jesus. I don't know how many churches have been established, how many people have been baptized. Damien in Argentina is reaching the untouched people groups of the world. We're going to send some money to Damien, to his ministry there, because they are building a school to train the nationals. They're, they're remodeling something they've held for years. They've had this property, and it's just in the last couple of years that God began to open this door. We're going to provide motorcycles for them to be able to go into these unreached places of the world and preach the gospel. I believe this is what we're supposed to do. When Brother Donald gets here, we're going to honor him. But I want to sow into the Sudan. We're going to sow into some other places of the world. It's getting the gospel around the world. And here's the last verse that I want to leave with you. I want you to, you have it, Miss Mindy, Mark chapter, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And it's the 18th, or it's the 29th verse. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There's no man that hath not left house or brethren or sisters or fathers or mothers, wife or children or lands, for my sake and the gospel. Next verse. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time in houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But he added one thing. When you start getting blessed, persecution comes. Because people can't handle your blessing. But God said he would sow it. That he would bless us back if we would sow. I've laid out to you what I believe is the will of God as we move into this year and how we're going to live. 